Hello there and welcome back in to the Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. I'm your host, Sam Hind, and I am super excited to have you joining us today because, again, we're going to be bringing in a an amazing guest to chat with you all about something that I know is going to be really impactful to your businesses. Whether you are in corporate or whether you are a distributor, consultant, or solopreneur, this amazing guest is going to be providing loads of amazing information and insight about our industry. Just before I do, I want to remind you though that we have got an amazing free resource, Social Media for Direct Sellers with Greg and Sam, a free Facebook group to help support you in your social media journey. If you'd love to get a little bit of extra support, training, and an amazing community of other like-minded individuals looking to grow their businesses on social media the right way, then we would love to invite you in to join our free community group. That's social media for direct sellers with Greg and Sam. We look forward to seeing you in there on the inside. Now let's get in to what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to be introducing you to Shiv Dutt, who is the Vice President of Innovation and Customer Experience at Pampered Chef. Now, Pampered Chef has got an amazing history and Shiv is going to share a little bit about that. But what I really loved about this conversation was Shiv's attitude towards innovation and most importantly, innovation that relates to the individual. So how do you innovate when you know that your business is just simply not working right now? You can see that there are changes in the environment around you, changes to your audience, and even changes within yourself. And you think, it's not working anymore. What do I do next? Shiv shares his expertise about how you go about innovating, but also what are some of the key factors and contributors that you really need to consider as you go through the process of adapting to this new environment and world that we're in right now. If you have not innovated your business in the last six months, let alone 12 or 24 months, then you need to listen to this episode. In addition to that, he's going to share his insights about the industry as a whole. I found this a fascinating conversation and I know you will too. So that's it from me. I am going to turn over to the interview right now. Make sure, of course, that you've got your notes handy or your pen and paper because again, Shiv, as always, as our guests do, is going to share loads of golden nuggets to help you grow your business. So that's it from me. Let's tune into the interview. everybody and welcome back into the Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. I am so privileged and, be, and blessed to be joined today by Shiv Dutt. Now, Shiv, you are the Vice President uh, of Innovation and Customer Experience at Pampered Chef. I'm super excited to have you here. Welcome on into the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Sam. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's awesome. And I love the fact that we get to connect on opposite sides of the globe here. This is such a privilege that we can do this. So I know it's your late afternoon. It's my early morning, but I'm super excited to chat with you about your role at Pampered Chef, the history of Pampered Chef. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about who is Shiv Dutt? <laughs> when I figure that out, I'll let you know. About okay, that. great. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, um, it's really interesting. So I, I guess, uh, probably my defining characteristic would be my family. So I should start off there. I have, uh, 
I'm married. I live in Chicago and I have two beautiful daughters who, uh, uh, who are uh, 11 and 13. Actually, one of them has their birthday coming up. So that's kind of the a place I'd like to start because that kind of drives a lot of my thinking and things I do. Uh, yeah, I you have, have to be very worked, innovative with a teenage girl, right? <laughs> I have to be, I am, I've learned many, many strong values. Let's just say that. Over, over time. <laughs> we'll talk, we'll talk about that later. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but no, I've um, been with Pampa Chef for just over three years now. Uh, I have a fairly interesting career prior to this. Uh, very diverse sales, marketing, product background, innovation background. Um, I would say I've, I've worked in uh, CPG companies. I've worked in large retail companies, um, you know, like, uh, like uh, uh, Sears and Alta Beauty. I've also worked in uh, startup companies uh, as well. And I've done everything from traditional roles to transformation role. And I would kind of describe my current role as a bit of a bit of a transformation role in a, in a great company with uh, and a strong brand. Yeah. Awesome. And so what I'm really excited to chat with you a bit more about today is your role in innovation. I, I got a bit excited when we actually got the chance to meet in person at the DSA conference in Florida. What would that be? A couple of months ago now? I'm I'm not even maybe three. <laughs> I don't know where yeah, we are. Yeah, it feels anymore. like yesterday, but or or maybe it was two years. Yeah, no, it was uh yeah, I think it was July, right? In so July. Right. Okay, great. And we're just about to come back over, so time flies. But Look, I got the chance to meet you while we were over there and and when you told me what your role was, I was really excited to chat with you a little bit more, particularly because one of the things that I notice in this industry that I don't think we do terribly well is innovate. And so as we go into that, you actually told me a bit about the story of Pampered Chef Um before we get there, I just want to, you've won some awards lately. I keep, I feel like every time I look at LinkedIn, there is another award um, that Shiv is receiving or Pampered Chef is receiving. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those exciting awards? Because I think it's something to really celebrate and congratulate you guys on. Well, thank you. Um, no, I mean, I, I started by saying, yeah, I mean, it, it is a, um, the awards we're winning is really a testament to the people. Mm. Uh, I would talk about my team and actually the consultants who support us because you know anything we do ultimately is in service to them and anything we develop is in service for them and and is built as i say it's built for them by them and so it's really a recognition of a lot of hard work innovation and people putting themselves out of their comfort zone to try something new but yeah we did we did win a couple of awards um specifically around a digital platform solution which we are uh, looking to pioneer to, to to solve the to solve an experience problem that we have in in our business, I think many people in the direct selling industry is kind of challenged with right now, which is yeah. essentially this essentially you know part of our value proposition as a solution as a solutions based company is not just to focus on product, but to connect products with our amazing uh, uh, sellers uh, who understand the consumers really well and marry that with an experience. And how you how you build a digital experience, and that's where we've been developing a solution to solve for that problem that can be done at scale. Yeah, and I'm really excited to chat about that. This I think it's amazing that you guys are putting so much work into not just digital. I love what you just said there, experience. Mm-hmm. So um, keen to chat about this, but 
Before we get in there, let's talk a little about Pampered Chef. Um, I know this is a, a company that I've been watching for a while. You are not in Australia at the moment, so our Australian listeners are going to be very curious. Um, and, of course, many of our US listeners will know uh, a lot more about you than our Australian friends. But I'm really keen to hear a little bit more about that backstory. Our industry um, has, as we all know, been through some huge changes. And I'm not just talking about the last few years. I'm talking about the last few decades. Mm -hmm. And we've moved a lot. You've got a lot of insights about these changes and where we are now versus where we've been and where we're going. But um, before we get there, would you care to share a little bit about that history of Pampered Chef? Where did it all Mm -hmm. start and and what did that look like? Because it's such a great story. Yeah, no, actually, it's a fascinating story. I mean, Pampered Chef was founded by an incredible entrepreneur, an incredible woman. Her uh, name was Doris Christopher in the early 80s. And, and you know, she was, a, uh, she was a housewife and she had, and really she was focused on our heritage, which is built around problem solving. And the problem she identified was a very, uh, you know, large problem that existed in the marketplace at that time, which was people did not, um, inspiration was a problem. People did not, they were cooking, but they didn't, they lacked the inspiration. They didn't know what to cook. They were caught in a bit of a rut. Um, and then when you marry that with uh, not having inspiration, but then not knowing what the right products were and what's actually even available uh, out there in the industry. And then the last one is, and where do I go to buy? And remember, we're talking about the 80s where this is pre-Google and pre-Amazon era where you couldn't pick up a phone and, and order a product and it's delivered to your house. So you can go and search for recipes and you can find yeah. everything. Um, so we you're take talking that about so much I'm, for granted now, don't we? <laughs> it's, it's amazing when you think about it. I mean, sadly, I'm, I'm old enough to remember those days. So it's, uh, I'm aging myself, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, clearly remember those days. And, and, yeah. you know, and at that time, and if you think about, uh, that time, especially if you want in big cities in America, where do you get that? And that's mm. the problem she was looking to solve. And, and she decided to solve that with the party structure, which was all around doing these really incredible experiences in people home, looking to solve for those three things, looking to solve for inspiration, looking to solve for products, looking to solve for, uh, uh, for delivery and, and access and convenience. Yeah. And to do that in a fun environment where people have food, friends, uh, fun and friends, right? That was her, the motto, food, fun and friends. I love it. So that is how she built this business. And that business grew from a tiny little business in the early 80s. And and I also want to, another piece that she also solved for is empowering women. And you're talking about Mm -hmm. a lot of people who are looking for flexible opportunities, looking to convert their uh, passion and monetize that passion into something that that could support their families. And she was a pioneer uh, in that space as well. And that business grew in the early 80s from a fledgling company to ultimately being sold in the early 2000s to Berkshire Hathaway, no less, and to Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett himself actually talked to Doris and loved her story so much, ended up buying the company. And at its peak back then, um, yeah, the, the wow. company was for over a billion dollars. So you talk about an astronomical <laughs> rise and she's, yeah. she is, she is hailed as one of the great entrepreneurs and one of the great thinkers and the great minds. Mm. And I would say that having met Doris and she's, uh, now obviously, uh, older, but she's very much involved with our company and she's still the great inspirational entrepreneur and leader. And so yeah. that is kind of the history and the, and the background of this company. And so we're very founded on, problem solving and solutioning. 
Yeah. So one of the things that you spoke to me about, and that's just such an amazing backstory. And when you said that the company was sold to Warren Buffett, um, blew my mind. I mean, how do you miss something like that? But what an awesome story and an incredible woman. You mentioned to me that there's there was then a shift. So we all know, yep, okay, great. There was the pre-internet time. And, you know, I had to laugh when you first told me about this. I was just thinking about this the other day because I looked at my book bookshelf and I've got all my books that I've I collect I've collected over the last 30 years. I love to cook. And since I was a kid, I've been collecting recipe books. But, you know, funnily enough. I can't remember the last time I opened one because it's so much easier just to Google or go to the internet and look for a recipe that suits what you're doing. And it it does really bring to the forefront that question. So she solved the problem. The business was formulated around the solving of that problem, which was inspiration and people not knowing what tools to use, et cetera. But what happened when the internet came into play and suddenly, and then you've got Amazon come in and Suddenly, that problem is no longer a problem so much anymore. What what was the shift for Pampered Chef when that happened? Yeah, I think, and we're still in that evolving shift. I think, I think we it was you know there's the analogy of a frog in a boil, boiling water. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if you're familiar with it, you know you put a frog in throw a frog in boiling water, it jumps out, or you put a, a frog in water and turn up the heat slowly and it just sits there and dies. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of that. What happened was as the as you know as as things like Google and Amazon and Bed Bath and Beyonds and you know all these stores, you know, access convenience became easy. Cu- curation became easy. You could go online to Amazon and you could curate for products. You you could get products from some little town in China and you wouldn't even know and you and you yeah. get exact solution delivered in five days. And, and then you have solutions around, you know, there's a joke, um, our head of product used to say that there are more recipes than atoms right now on the internet. So, <laughs> you know, you've gone from like not having inspiration to everybody and their mothers talking about inspiration mm-hmm. every single day. So, yes, I mean, as that happened, then the, you know, it starts, what happened is, um, and then also you have this shift in behavior where, um, you know, people have become less willing to open up their homes, right? And, and have somebody who you don't know come into your home and and, and, and put on an experience, especially yeah. if that experience doesn't have all those unique qualities that it had before. So we started seeing our business as a result start to erode over time and we weren't really sure how to, how to deal with it. Um, now, I think, interestingly enough, where we are and what we're finding right now is uh, super interesting because in a weird way, now you have the opposite problem. So you've now gone from the problem of not enough choice, not enough access, not no convenience and hard delivery to too much choice, <laughs> too much access. Like, you know, if you think about it, there is a feeling of being overwhelmed. If you talk to consumers yeah. right now, there is so much out there <clears throat> that it is very hard for people to discern what is right for you. Yeah, That is why if you look at it, the idea of of choice has actually choice has gone from being a problem uh, because you didn't have any to being a problem because you have too much. Mm. I think what we are now finding is that our business is less around exposing new things to people. And it's more around giving them the right solution, essentially uh, telling people our consultants, one of the interesting insights we learn is that consumers, when they in situations where they work well with our sellers, 
it's because they identify the sellers as somebody who's the word is like me, right? Yeah. So somebody who is who they, that resonates with them in a world of you know Kim Kardashian, you know where I can't I don't identify with that. To have, if you see the authentic nature of that interaction, is something that people value. And then yeah. when that person says, "Well, I think here could be a solution that makes sense for you," that mm-hmm. actually resonates with people, and so that makes sense. But the di- but the experience. We still have to solve for that experience because that experience now needs to live in what I would call a digital world, right? Yeah. Which is a combination of the physical and the digital. And yeah. that is the piece we have to solve for. I, I would be the first to admit, I know we are starting to make strides in it uh, mm-hmm. to say, how do we explain that in, in the best possible way? Because we have to find a way to combine technology, personalization, curation, through t- leveraging it with uh, and interspersing the authentic nature of a consultant, right? Mm-hmm. And so to, to, we have to mesh the, those two together. And that's a, it's not a neat problem to solve. And it's one which, but it's a worthwhile problem to solve, not just because it helps our company, but I think it helps our industry and it helps, yeah. uh, helps uh, uh, consumers. Yeah. And the, you bring up a really important point and one that I know a lot of our distributors globally are really struggling with at the moment. How do I combine that process of, and let's go back to the word you used before, the experience that the consumer has with the online world? And you know, you're so right about the overwhelm. When you think about it, we get overwhelmed um, by choice every day. But, you know, let's just come back to that simplistic, the recipe example. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've thought of something I want to make and I go online to look for a recipe and I get so overwhelmed by all of the potential recipes and all of the conflicting information. Don't do it this way. Do do it this way. I give up. The, the amount of times I just stop and walk away and go, oh, it's too hard. And you know what? I don't cook as much as I used to now purely because there's just too much option. There's too much choice. And there's so much conflicting information out there. So when it comes to the experience that consumers are having, and you're a master innovator yourself, this is your role with the company, um, how do you see consumers, um, how, or how do you see distributors being able to provide an ultimate experience utilising the digital tools that we have? Because let's face it, it's we've gone from being fully in person in the 80s to now, do we go fully online or don't we? What do we do? How do we make this an amazing experience for consumers so that it's just a no-brainer that they come to us and do business with us? Big question, I know, but I'm going to throw it at you. Yeah, anyway. no, I, 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 first and foremost, if I had the answer to that question, I would. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd probably and problem solved, yeah. yeah. Exactly, <laughs> problem solved, you know, I'm going to. I'm just testing in case you're withholding yeah. something that will. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. Sam. And I'm going to be on the speak. I'll be at the other side of the mic doing speaking tours. Now, yeah. um, <laughs> what I would say is uh, we have a hypothesis and, uh, and we're aiming towards it. I think the simple answer to that is, it starts with what is your promise, yeah, right? And I think with an experience, I think this is probably one of the hardest things that we have to figure out. Mm. Um, I described the physical nature of our experiences and it was very well-crafted. We used to talk about food, fun, and friends. It was a very simple model, right? And and it was because you came from one of those experiences, you had food, there was you had fun learning stuff and getting educated and uh, and and then you were with friends. I mean, that was yep. the model. 
Um, I think part of the challenge that we've gotten into, and I find myself sometimes as well, especially if you spend a lot of time talking to our distributors, to our consultants, is they'll tell you what they know. And they'll tell you to take what we know and translate that. And not all of it translates. And that's where we can sometimes get caught in ourselves. I think what we have to ask ourselves is if we know what the consumer problem is that we're trying to solve, what is the promise we can give from an experience? And and what is that promise? And how do we tangibly make that uh, available to consumers? So it's not just, it can. so I think the, and the hard part is when you use terms like fun, fun in a digital experience is very hard to a, yeah. quantify. And what fun means to 10 people is totally different. Mm. I hear that a lot in direct selling parties is like, come, it's a super fun experience. And it's like, and you know what? People are usually like, no, nah, actually that wasn't fun. Uh, yeah. I, you know, that was, because depending on your perspective of fun, a digital experience may be fun. But in many cases, probably not because uh, your expectations are different. Um, I think what we have to figure out is what is that promise that mm. you can tangibly deliver on that somebody can leave that saying, I got something out of it. Mm. And, and there's something tangible and something that they can talk about. What yeah. that is and what is that promise and how do you make it as tangible? That's the problem to solve. And and I think, but if you if we can't, identify that problem and articulate that problem clearly. If you can't then measure against that problem to say, was that problem worth solving? So, you know, asking then consumers saying, did, was that a worthwhile problem we went and solved? Did our promise actually, the promise of the problem we're solving, was that worthwhile? And number two, did we actually deliver on it? If you mm-hmm. can't have a tangible uh, solution that you can actually test, I don't think you, yep. can, you can talk about what a good experience is. And I think, Part of the challenge is with um, a lot of the solutions, including, frankly, where we started out, is we, our first focus was around creating a digital experience, which was around tools, techniques, around uh, features. Yeah. I think we can get very caught up in that, mm. not around the promise. And I think we need yeah. to get, get grounded on the promise. Yeah, it's so true. And I I think one of the things that tends to hold people back at the moment is that they're really focused on knowing everything and having all of the, uh, the answers around, you know, the intricate details of how to use a product or, uh, what's in a product and all of those sorts of things that they forget that that doesn't matter so much. It's, it's that Mm -hmm. experience. And. So I want to just talk about the barrier of social media for a moment. Um, You know, social media is a convenience. Um, It's the world that we live in at the moment. And Shiv, um, you know, you mentioned that obviously when Doris first started the company, it was about that in-person coming together. And that was part of the problem that was solved. We've now moved into a phase where over the last couple of years, people have been forced to have to go online. Now the world has changed again. and it's, it's almost as though social media is this new barrier and it's a barrier between that in-person connection, but, but it's also an amazingly powerful tool. And so I'd love to know your thoughts on how does, how can our consultants, our distributors in any company use social media to enhance the experience for the customer, enhance their relationship building rather than to detract? Because what I feel is happening at the moment is people are using it as a way to get away from maybe what would be a a confrontational interaction Mm -hmm. with somebody in some cases. Mm -hmm. 
and and they're missing out on that real connection you can have in person. And in some cases, let's face it, it's not as possible. I mean, we've we've had the world opened up. Social media now allows us to connect with people who are nowhere near us. And so the business opportunities are far greater. But mm. how do you, how what tips would you provide to people yeah, you know- that are using social media to make that connection and enhance that that connection with people? You know, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on it, but I, I'll give you my my hypothesis or the, the my you know experiential learning on this uh, uh, in the time I've been here. I find that we tend to we've migrated to um, unfortunately, and this is why I would say COVID hasn't really helped us because mm-hmm. I think in some respects it created bad habits because mm-hmm. things happened in a certain way for a lot of people, which is not replicable because it was an unusually uh, environment. Um, I think, unfortunately, people think that social media is, I go out there and I blast stuff out and lots of people and I play the volume game and, you know, I'm going to bait somebody and I'm going to sell something, I'm going to make something, right? Like that is, unfortunately, and I know that not everybody's doing it, but a lot yeah. of people are doing that. They made social media into a volume selling game. Yeah. And, and social media enables that. I mean, you go on Facebook and you talk to one person and they open their network up. You can talk to 400 people and you blast and you get this false sense of, I'm, I'm, if I message 400 people and I get five people to buy, that's okay. What they're not recognizing that you probably upset 395 people and lost those people who will never now buy from you. Mm. I don't think they look at it from the right way. The math is not right. Um, So I would say the first things first is understanding that social media is not an all-in-one tool. I mean, the old days relationship building required multi-steps. You'd probably, you would be calling people. You'd be uh, sending them handwritten notes. You'd be meeting them personally. You'd be doing all these things to build Mm -hmm. relationships. Social media is just another tool. It exposes you to people and you need to use it as such. It's a leads funnel for sure. It helps you qualify people, but you can't just leverage it. You've got to meet customers the way they want to be met and you have to answer it. And I certainly wouldn't start off by saying social media is my selling tool. I think if you start by brute force selling, you're likely going to upset more people. You may have success for short periods, but then ultimately it's going to hurt you. It's Mm -hmm. where you build uh, your authentic self where you express your authentic self, you meet people, and you start the conversation. That's not where you necessarily end it. Now, are there opportunities to sell? Absolutely, there are. And God bless you if you have uh, if you become one of those influencers who goes on social social media and sends a tweet to millions of people. When today you get there, but let's face yeah. it, that's not everybody. Yeah, let's be realistic. Yeah. And, and those people who do that put a lot of hard work in, and they're and not all of it is on just on social media. Mm. And, and so I think that's kind of my take on it is that I think social media is absolutely a must do today. Mm. Uh, I think everybody should overcome their fears. They should try different things out. Right now, TikTok is a growing platform. If you aren't mm. on TikTok, you probably want to get there and start playing around with what you can do. But it's a way to start building that engagement. Yep. Don't be in a rush to get to the end point right from the outset. Yeah. Now, one of the things that you and I spoke about as well was numbers and uh, this this uh, mindset that when I do a demonstration or a party or I connect with people, social media gives me access to the world, therefore I should be um, 
building my business on mass. Do you want to speak into that a little bit uh, around, yeah. you know, how do you, how do you feel about that concept versus where we've come from and the success potentially moving forward of people doing that on mass, um, you know, selling, marketing, connecting? Yeah, I think um, I, I, my general sense is that, um, you know, there's a core idea that exists uh, in marketing. It's about, uh, you know, um, targeted, you know, consumer targeting, right? Like know who your consumer is, target them and speak mm-hmm. to them in a way that matters to them. I think that's actually become even more so today. Today, yeah. it's not like consumer groups. It's me. I want to hear something that's relevant to me. That is really what is happening in the world. And if you look at what uh, companies in retail and other places are doing, is they're doing that. They're getting more to not customization, but personalization at an individual mm-hmm. level, like including products. I mean, you get you can buy like Nike shoes, which are personalized to my, I have the only pair that looks like that. That's where the consumer is going. And unfortunately, yeah. I think uh, the thing that we have to be careful of in this industry is we've, and again, this is a little bit of an outcome of COVID, is we play the volume game, right? What we do mm-hmm. is we go and send one message or one set of communications to 400 people making an assumption that they're all the same. Yeah, And it doesn't work that way. The beautiful thing about the model when we used to have in-person experiences, you know, 30 years ago was because those in-person experiences were somewhat curated experiences and your host could would pick people, talk to 20 people and maybe five people or 10 people show up, by definition, the people who are showing up have some homogeneous traits and they're interested. And therefore, the conversation was more valuable and everybody liked it. Now, what you're trying to do is go to 400, take a shotgun approach to 400 people and try to find the five people who may be interested. Mm-hmm. And I, I really worry about the longevity of this strategy because yeah. what's going to happen is eventually it's going to hurt the industry and it's going to hurt people because yeah. they're going to... the. They're, it's going to they're going to resort to tactics that will uh, which is not scalable and that's not duplicatable. Yeah. So I think we need to get a little more uh, a little more back to that place where we're, we're curating and we're talking personal. To yeah. Yeah. So let's just say that we've got a distributor right now who loves their product. They love the business that they're in, but perhaps they're they're feeling like okay, I can see that the company's perspective at the moment is is, you know what, let's just blast the numbers. And I understand that that's not going to work for my business right now. There's two things in my mind. The first is the the promise. You mentioned what is your promise. The second thing is um, how w- if someone knows they need to innovate, if someone right now is going, I, I can see that the way I'm running my business right now is not working. Things have changed. Times have changed. My customers have changed. Maybe even the products have changed. What steps would you encourage people to take from your experience, Shiv, to innovate their own personal business? If they don't know necessarily which direction they should be going right now, what would be the first things you would suggest that they do if they recognize that they need to innovate a little bit? Yeah, I think it, that's a, it's a hard question to answer uh, just because I think it, it really depends. Yeah. It depends on what, uh, where, firstly, where they are personally in their situation, what their personal skill sets are, mm. and what, what are the things they're good at. I mean, I, I think would that's such a good point, point, though. 
Because that that's probably what most people are missing is they're not stopping to think right. about. Again, it comes back to the personal element, right? The personal element of exactly. you, the consultant, as much as the personal element of the consumer at the other end. Exactly. I think, you know, there's a, there's a recently I was reading this book called Strategize to Win and it was talking about how, you know, um, how do you, how do you change perception? Mm. And one of the things that were, and the importance of perception, one of the things it was saying is it talks about is, you know, each one of us have, you know, it needs to start with you being very clear on what, who you're, who you yourself are, what makes you authentic. Yep. And, you know, start by saying, what are the three adject- adjectives that you would describe yourself by and knowing that? And then understanding from your consumer perspective, what are the three things that they are looking for? And the point at which you can start innovating and developing is when you understand when those two overlap. Now you can start saying, how do you do it? I know this sounds really, uh, you know, very theoretical, but the reality of it is I would start up by saying, if somebody wants to innovate and focus, I would start up by saying, where can I, you know, it's, it's this, it's, it's this think big, uh, uh, you know, think big, but act small and fail fast, right? Yeah. I think it's, it's this, this, this process. So you've got to, if you know where you want to go and you have a goal and you have an idea, start with by saying think big, but then the act small would be, what are the things I'm good at and where can mm-hmm. I, what, how can I leverage some of those skills yep. and, and try and test certain things out, Yeah. right? So yeah. If you're really good at creating TikTok videos or really good at creating videos, you're comfortable being out there, I would encourage start leveraging that. And there are actually tools to not only leverage videos, but actually then then distribute those videos. There are lots of different things you can innovate around, mm, right? But if yeah. you're not, if that's not your skill and you have something else, you got to find those skills. And that's, I think that's with, true with any innovation. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And um, the promise we were talking about before, you were saying that that was one of the keys to, um, you know, success in each individual's business is working out what is your promise. You know, I just want to come back to that because I feel like I kind of left that one hanging. How, how does someone figure out if they're going, okay, great, I get what the company's promise is. I might get what the product's promise is. How do I work out what my promise is? I would start by saying make it very tangible. So I'll give you an example. I'm, you know, if your promise is that I'm going to give you inspiration, Mm -hmm. okay, then if inspiration is is in your mind recipes, then make it tangible. Make sure that you say, listen, every time you come to an experience, I'm gonna, you're gonna tell me your preferences. Like I'm gonna qualify you. Maybe they're like three questions. You know, are you a are you a family? Are you a sub, you know, uh, are you a mom with kids? Are you mm-hmm. later stage in your life? And then I'm going to give you three recipes. When yep. you leave, I'm going to give you three recipes. I'm going to help you solve that. Now that's tangible. Now, does that mean that that is the thing that's going to get you over the top? Maybe, maybe not, but it's tangible and something you can back up and something you can yep. deliver. And if people are like, no, that doesn't make sense. We can change that. Yeah. So I think to me, promise is not the values and it's not like, you know, we, we are going to deliver fun or we will solve your mealtime problems. I think mm-hmm. that means nothing to a consumer. Very. It's like, show me the money. Yeah. I think it's, it has to be like, give me those three things. You should be yeah. able to come in and I talk about it. I thought if you come to an event, if you yeah. come to a pampered chef party or you go to something other pappy, a promise could be, you will come in and you will get one recipe. You'll get one live event and I'm going to give you one week's mealtime plan. That's yeah. the promise. That's tangible, that's actionable, that's measurable. Yeah, I love that measurable concept. And can I just throw one little element in there as well? 
And that's so brilliant, Shiv. I think that's something anyone and everyone can do. But there's two elements I just want to point out to our listeners there. The first is test and measure. So you said test and that's important. Don't just come up with your promise and then get frustrated when it doesn't work. Everything is an experiment. Play around with it. If you promise three recipes and and it just isn't quite hitting the mark, try something else. Try the meal plan. You you know, if you work for a a company that is, you know, um, health and wellness, you know, again, make make a promise that relates to what you do or to your audience. But that's the other key is making sure you understand who your audience is because you can't make a promise. And I love how you suggested those three questions. Um, I would really encourage all of our listeners to be um, almost um, over-the-top obsessed with getting to know who your audience is. Just obsess over it. Be constantly curious. Be constantly wondering. Be constantly asking questions. Be constantly observing because not only is there so much power in knowing what makes them tick, but they're constantly changing, as are you, as is the world. And so, you know, when we assume um, that we know what people want, that's where we, we fall off the mark. Because we start to broadcast, we start to deliver messages that are generic because we don't know what makes that person tick in this very moment of time. It's it's no different to how you would do that with your family or your friends. You know, every time you meet up with your friends, what is the first thing you do? You catch up and you get to know what's going on in their world and you, you get up to speed. So you know what makes them tick, you know what conversations to have with them, and your your customers should be no different. But that promise concept is really powerful, Shiv. So I just want to really, I guess, highlight that for our listeners because it's something anyone and everyone can do. But it's not a matter of here's my promise, I'm done, dusted, and that's it for the rest of my business life. It needs to be constantly tested, adjusted, Mm -hmm. and evolved. So I love that. Now, I just want to really quickly, um, we've got some fun questions for you, but before we get there, um, you talked about fun, innovation. I am a little bit excited by your virtual kitchen concept. Can you tell everybody a little bit about what you've done with that? Because there was one part of it that I was like, I feel like no one's done this element uh-huh. here. Um, can you tell everyone about it? And we'll put, um, is it something we can put in the show notes for people to check out if they want to? Sure, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, um, yeah, it's it's really uh, we we built a virtual kitchen and it's it goes into that experience aspect and it's yeah. it's about how can I experience products in a in a way that is engaging that's fun that that mimics what could be real life. So we've actually built out a kitchen with products sitting on it like your like a home kitchen where you can go and interact with product. There are games out there you can play games and at the end of the that, day when that was the bit that I was wanting you to mention there. You yeah. brought the fun in. <laughs> I yeah. love this. Exactly. You can play games so, um, in this virtual kitchen. It, yeah, and then you can you, you click on the products. You can you know learn about the products. They have videos. It's, so it's just a fun way of learning. I mean, I think we're at a very nascent stage of this. I think there's probably a lot more we can do with this space. Mm. But I think in terms of, again, the future and where we're going, um, I think it just brings to life. It, you can create engagement in a different way. And yeah. it's... And, and and the trick is to make sure it's not it's not just showing you know a lot of showing there is it's there's actually value there and I think we do we create yeah. value and we create engagement in a different way. 
Yeah, I love it. So good. Well, we'll put the the um, link down in the show notes because you showed me, and I thought it was a really cool little concept. Um, and what I love about what you 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 say, Shiv, and I sort of hear this coming out a lot is you've got these ideas, you've got these hypotheses. I love that because it's not okay, this is what we're doing. We know the answer. It is we're testing, we're trialing, we're measuring, we're playing, we're innovating. And we understand that with that comes adjustment. Now, just really quickly, you've spoken a little bit to me about, you know, where you see the industry now. And both you and I are very passionate about this industry as a whole. Um, And I just wanted to ask you the question, where do you see the direct selling industry um, on the road ahead? What do you see coming? Because we have seen such a dramatic shift shift just in the last few years alone? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, th- I do think we're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll start off by saying I am definitely a, a babe in this industry. You probably forget more than I learn every single day. So um, I'll give you, I'll give you my opinion as opposed to anything that I believe is fact. Mm-hmm. I do think from my perspective, I think we're at a pivotal point in this industry. I think we have a choice to make in this industry. Um, we can either choose to be um, a direct selling industry, uh, trying to move forward, trying to you know grow and develop and, and reinvent itself, um, or we can start seeing ourselves as the pioneers of social commerce. Mm-hmm. And that's really, I think, a choice. And I think the, the 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 interesting thing about it is, and I use them because they're really interchangeable. Um, but, but it does drive different choices. The first one, I think it means you're going to have, you're going to be swimming up current. You're fighting against a lot of different forces and a lot of different macroeconomic forces, a lot of which is not within your control. And you're trying to create, um, you know, it's, it's the, it's, I, I use this analogy. It's like the Sears catalog versus amazon.com, you know, Sears catalog and amazon.com are essentially the same thing. One is just a contemporized version than the other. You know, Sears catalog in the, which existed in the, I don't know if those, your Australian viewers may not know this, but, you know, exists, Sears was the largest department show that exists in the fifties. There was a, they had a physical catalog where you could buy everything up to a house, which was almost like Amazon. And then it faded away because it was just got too unwieldy and large. And so they, they started creating department stores and then 2000 Amazon comes on and takes the Sears catalog, puts it online and now it's taken off. Right. So yeah. it's the same thing with the industry. I think. We, we can see ourselves as a, the traditional direct selling or the pioneers in social commerce. I think if we see ourselves as the pioneers in social commerce, it's not easy. It's going to require a lot of change management and reprogramming of how we think and how we brand ourselves. Mm-hmm. But that's where I think there's huge opportunity. And to be clear, that's the fastest growing part of retail industry today. And yeah. I think we could we could be on the forefront of that. Yeah, that's super exciting. And I, I think that's some really interesting insights there. And I, I absolutely look forward to what's coming ahead for sure. And of course, what our industry does, I think what you said there that we have a choice to make, um, I think that's a really good point because again, I think we're go we're whether or not we're reactive or proactive, you know, I think that's up to the individual to decide. But um at the moment, you know, it would be nice to see our industry being more proactive in that space. Um and uh, and ahead of the ball rather than waiting to see where the world takes us. Um now I've got four fun questions here for you, Shiv, and I'm really interested to see uh what you've got to say here. So the very first of those is what is your favorite book for us to add to our accelerator book list? In the true spirit of measuring, I would say there's a book I've been reading, and it's actually not a new book, but 
it's a really good one. It's an oldie but a goldie, and I think it's probably very helpful. It's a book called Measure What Matters. It's Ooh, actually, yep. um, I don't know if you've read it, but it's around, it's about, you know, the importance of essentially creating, creating small goals and then creating measurable results and measuring those and testing those. And I think it's one of those things that's critical, not just in operations, but in innovation and in strategy as well. Yeah. So important. You've brought that up many times. And I just want to highlight that again, the importance of measuring. You don't know if it's working if you're not measuring it. So yeah, that's a great one. I love that. And Shiv, if you could have a superpower, any superpower, what would it be and why? Uh, That's a fun one. You know, I would say if I could turn back time and take do-overs, um, you know, I think I've, I've had, uh, I've had lots of experiential learning in true mm-hmm. innovation fashion. And sometimes it's, it's always exciting to learn and to, to do things, uh, and get better. But, uh, sometimes it, you sometimes wonder, boy, if I knew that two years ago, just imagine what I could have done. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that would be fun to be able yeah. to go back and uh, take all my learnings and do things maybe a little bit differently. Yep. I love it. In true innovator style. <laughs> if I could go back in time, I love it. Exactly. I, sh- I should have predicted that one. And uh, what's your favorite quote, Shiv? Uh, well, I, I keep with the same thing and say, if you don't succeed at first, try, try again. <laughs> <laughs> again, a very predictable quote for an innovator. Exactly. I love it. Exactly. So good. And last one, I'm going to give you your superpower for a moment. <laughs> if you could go back in time and say one thing to your past self, what would that be? Well, especially in this industry, I would say change management is hard. Yeah. I think one of the things is it is a it's 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 definitely a humbling experience to to realize how hard it is uh, to mobilize and drive change and um, get people to to see the vision that you have uh, across a lot of people, it's it's not easy. And I I salute the true innovators, Doris Christopher and others like her who built these businesses. And I can only imagine the challenges they went through uh, yeah. to, to get it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really big one. And it's it's good to remember as well if, you know, sometimes I think we beat ourselves up because it's difficult. We think it should be easier than it is. Yeah. But at the end of the day, any any change is a challenge, right? Um, and in fact, uh, my daughter wrote up a quote that we often put in our 14-day challenges, um, which says you can't have change without challenge because the, the letters are all, you know, in, incorporated in the word itself. So um, such a good one. I love that. Well, look, Shiv, it has been such a pleasure having you in here today. And I think there's so much really to take from this chat, both from a company perspective, but also from a distributor perspective. So I just want to thank you for your insights and for, for your time today and sharing with us. And I think there's so much that anyone could have taken away from this chat. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. It's, uh, and I appreciate you calling me. Have a great, yeah. great evening. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much. And thanks again to our awesome listeners for tuning in. It's been great having you. And we look forward to having you join us on the podcast again next week. But that's it from us this week. Bye for now. Look after yourselves. And again, thanks, Shiv. We'll see you all again in seven days' time. If you love this video and you would love more help to improve your direct selling business on social media, then click on the link to join our Facebook group. I look forward to seeing you in there.